0: Chapter 19 of Countess Erika's Apprenticeship This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Vinay Mala Countess Erika's Apprenticeship by Ossip Shubin Translated by Annie Sleevester Chapter 19 The next morning, after breakfast, Erika stood again at her window, looking out upon the magnificence of the palaces bordering the Grand Canal and upon the dark sluggish water. She seemed to be looking for the spot where the gondola the previous night had passed through the silvery radiance of the moonlight. The burden of the plaintive song still rang in her ears, in her nerves, in her soul. Nino, Nino, cufe tudalavi tua kina padamo. Her grandmother entered, ready to go out, an opera glass in her hand, and asked her, erica will you not come with me to the exhibition in the Circulo Artistico? There is a picture there of which all Venus is talking. A wonder of a picture, they say. Whom is it by? By Lozenci. Ah. Erika turned away from her grandmother and gazed out of the window into the broad southern sunlight until black specks danced before her eyes. What an indignant exclamation, her grandmother said with a laugh. Your ah sounded as if Lozency were your mortal enemy. Perhaps you resent his being in Bhairut with with a companion. You must not be so strict with an artist. The society which these gentlemen, in pursuance of their calling, are obliged to frequent is apt to blunt their sensibilities in their direction. Besides, he was just from Paris. Such things are usual there. We are rather more strict in our notions. It is all the same. For my part, it is a matter of entire indifference to me how this her arranges his domestic affairs years ago i prophesied a brilliant future for him when our best berlin critics condemned his efforts as unripe fruit of course i feel flattered at having been right the vanity of being in the right is the last to die in the human breast at all events he seems to have painted a really great picture and i thought but if you do not want to come with me you prejudiced young lady i'll go alone i do my child She stroked the cheek of the young girl, who had now turned away from the window, and went towards the door. But before she had reached it, Erika called after her. But grandmother, do not be in such haste. I, I should like to take a little walk with you, and I do not care where we go. Very well, I will wait shortly afterwards grandmother and granddaughter walked across the little square behind the hotel decorated in honor of the spring with orange trees and laurels in tubs towards the piazza san stefano the day was lovely and the streets were filled with people erica wore a dark green cloth walking suit that became her well although she gave but little thought to her dress with her good taste was instinctive she always looked like a picture and today like an uncommonly handsome picture. Everybody turns to look at you, her grandmother whispered to her, and I must confess that it is worth the trouble. This sounded like old times. The compliment had no effect upon Erika, but the tenderness that prompted it did the girl good. She smiled affectionately, but shook her forefinger at the old lady. What? I am to take care not to spoil you? the old countess said with a laugh i'll answer for that if flattered vanity could spoil you would be quite ruined by this time good heavens i would rather you were a little spoiled just a little and happy instead of being as you are an angel sometimes an insufferable one but still an angel with no sunshine in your heart she looked askance almost timidly at the young girl as if to see if she were not a little merrier today than usual no erica did not look merry she looked touched but not merry if i only knew what you want the grandmother sighed half aloud erica moved closer to her side i want nothing i have too much she whispered you spoil me how can i help it I am seventy-two years old. How much time is left me to delight in you? It may be all over for me today or tomorrow. And then? But when she looked again at Erika, the tears were rolling down the girl's cheeks. Foolish child! exclaimed the grandmother. In all probability, I shall not die so very soon. You need not spoil your fine eyes crying beforehand. But one ought to be prepared for everything. And of course, I should like to see you married to a good husband. She had rested her hand on Arika's arm, and hitherto the young girl, in a childlike caressing way, had pressed it close to her side. But now she extricated herself from the old lady's clasp. Her lips quivered. Whom shall I marry? she exclaimed with bitter emphasis. Then both were silent. The grandmother was conscious of the blunder she had committed and was furious with herself which nevertheless would not in the least prevent her from making another of the same kind whenever an opportunity offered. Erika walked stiff and haughty beside her without looking at her again. When they reached the Circolo after a long walk, they wandered through the splendid spacious rooms for some time without discovering the object of their expedition. The spring exhibition at the Circolo was sparsely attended. Strangers had no time for modern art in Venice, and the natives preferred a walk in such fine weather. Consequently, the pictures signed by famous modern names hung for the most part upon the walls merely for the satisfaction of their originators. Busy's landscapes the old countess pronounced to be masterpieces, and she became so absorbed in a sirocco by the artist that she quite forgot the purpose for which she had come hither it looked almost as if erika took more interest than her grandmother in lausancy's picture she looked about her in search of it from the next room came the sound of voices now suppressed then loud in talk her heart began to beat fast and she directed her steps thither a group of six or seven men were standing in front of a large picture which hung alone on one side of the room, probably because no other artist had ventured to provoke comparison with it. The men standing before it, Erika suspected from their remarks that they were all artists by profession, spoke of it in low tones as of something sacred, which the picture was not, far from it, but it was a magnificent revelation of genius, and as such was something divine francesca da rimini was engraved upon the frame the old subject was strangely treated trees in full leaf were cut short by the frame so that only their luxuriant foliage and blossom-laden boughs were visible and above them against a background of dull gloomy storm clouds floated two forms closely intertwined never had erica seen two such figures living as it were upon canvas never had she seen writhing despair so revealed in every limb and muscle her first sensation was one of almost angry repulsion for the artist what do you say to it the old countess who had followed erika asked rather loudly as was her wont a masterpiece is it not erika turned away she was very pale and she trembled from head to foot it is wonderfully beautiful she murmured in a low voice but it is unpleasant i feel as if it were a sin to look at it as they crossed the piazza san stefano on their way home at the foot of Menin's statue stood a group of five street singers two men and three women all over fifty both men blind one of the women one night another humpbacked and the third so corpulent that she looked like a caricature these five monsters the women with guitars the men with violins were accompanying themselves in a love song, their mouths wide open, and the drawling notes issuing thence echoed from one end to the other of the spacious piazza. The burden of the ditty was, To my Beniato, il seno mio di lagireme, tamo di amo. The old countess, with a laugh and the easy grace of a great lady, tossed the singers a coin halfway across the piazza. Erica frowned a feverish indignation possessed her good heavens did the whole world circle about one and the same thing must she hear it even from the lips of these wretched cripples she bit her lip from the distance came the drawling wail tamo Dimenezo amo erica look there the words were spoken by old countess Landorf in the library of the monastery of st lazaro and as she speaks she plucks her granddaughter's sleeve the monastery is the same in which lord byron more than half a century ago was taught by long-bearded monks and the landoffs taking advantage of the fine weather had been rowed over to it on the afternoon of the day on which they had visited the exhibition at the circolo the monk who acted as their cicerone had conducted them to the library to show them lord byron's signature and his portrait a small authentic likeness In addition, he showed them many likenesses of his lordship, which were by no means authentic, but which represented him in various costumes and at various periods of his existence, and which it was hoped romantic tourists might be tempted to purchase as souvenirs de Venice. Two gentlemen are standing laughing and criticizing one of these pictures, and it is to these gentlemen that the countess directs her granddaughter's attention. One of them is standing with his back turned to the ladies, but his faultlessly fitting English overcoat, his grey gaiters, his way of balancing himself with legs slightly apart, the distinction and grey-haired worthlessness that characterize him leave Erika in no doubt as to his identity. It is Count Hans Truenberg, an old Austrian friend of her grandmother's. The other, whose profile is turned towards the ladies, is a man of middle height, delicately built, well-dressed, although his clothes have not the English cachet that distinguishes Count Renbergs, and with a frank attractive bearing and a clear-cut dark face. Taken all in all, he might be supposed to be a man of the world, some young relative of the Count's, were it not for his eyes, strange gleaming eyes which after a brief glance at the grandmother are riveted upon the granddaughter. No mere man of the world ever had such eyes. Meanwhile, Count Trenberg has turned round. Ladies, I kiss your hands, he exclaims. You two have employed this fine weather in an excursion. You could not do better. The old countess was about to reply when Ruenberg's companion whispered a few words to him. Permit me to present Harfan Lausensi, said the count, whereupon the old countess, before Lausensi had quite finished his formal obeisance, called out, I am delighted to know you. I belong among your oldest admirers. Do not misunderstand me. I do not, of course, refer to my own age, but to that of my admiration. I am immensely flattered, Frau Countess, Lausensi replied in the gentle, agreeable voice of a Viennese of mixed descent and doubtful nationality. Might I ask, when first I had the good fortune to arouse your interest? How long ago is it, Erika? Five or six years? Asked the old lady. You will know. Six years ago, I think, grandmother. Six years ago then, the countess went on. It was in Berlin where you were exhibiting two pictures one before a curtain the other behind a curtain i saw both and i have believed in your talent ever since which has not however prevented me from being surprised by your last picture in the circolo artistico you are very kind one thing i should like to know do you fancy there are trees in full leaf in hell what in hell asked the artist lifting his eyebrows So far as I can tell, I have never pictured hell to myself, although I have more than once felt as if I had been there. Why then did you paint Francesca D'Armini after that fashion? Francesca D'Armini? Again he looked at her in surprise. The picture in the circolo. The old lady persisted. But, and her tone was much cooler. Perhaps I am mistaken. And the picture is not yours. No, no, he replied laughing. The picture to which you refer is certainly mine, Countess, but my picture-dealer invented the title for it. I never for a moment intended to paint that most attractive of all sinning women. What did your picture mean then? To tell you the truth, I do not know. He said it with an odd smile in which there was some annoyance. I want to paint a series of pictures under the title of Mes Cochimaris, Evil Dreams and the thing in the circolo was to be number one. If I could have dared to challenge comparison with Botticelli, which I could not, I should perhaps have called the picture spring. As he spoke, his eyes had continually strayed towards Erica. At last, they rested upon her with so uncivilized a stare that she turned away. Annoyed and Count Truenberg held up his hand as a screen, saying with a laugh, Spare your eyes, my dear Losenzi. What sort of way is that to gaze upon the sun? You are right, Count, the painter said rather bluntly. Then, turning again to the young girl, he said in a very different tone I am not recalling our meeting in the Kailes and If I do not mistake, I can hardly believe it. But if I do not, our acquaintance dates back from much farther back. Have you a stepfather called Strenshinsky? Unfortunately, yes, her grandmother replied dolefully. Well then, he said eagerly, I, he made a sudden pause, how foolish I am, you must long ago have forgotten what I am remembering. No, I have forgotten nothing, Erika replied, lifting her eyes to his, with a strange expression of mingled pride and reproach, I recognized you long ago, but it was not for me to tell you so. Countess, allow me to kiss your hand in memory of the dear little fairy who brought me good fortune what's all this count ruenberg asked inquisitively and the old countess as curiously inquired where did you make each other's acquaintance erika hesitates a sudden shyness makes her uncertain how to begin the story lucency comes to her aid. his narrative is a little masterpiece of pathos and humour he tells everything how the baron he describes him perfectly in a single phrase sent him off with an arms two his own indignation, his despair, his hunger, the sudden appearance of the little girl. He describes her sweet little face, her faded gown, her long thin legs in their red stockings, and the basket of food decorated with esters. He describes the landscape, the little brook creeping shyly beneath the huge bridge, a bridge about as suitable, he declares, as the tomb of Cecilia Metella would be, as a monument for a dead dodge. He repeats the little fairy's every word and tells how finally she slipped the five guilders into his pocket, assuring him that she knew how terrible it was to be without money. The old lady and Truenberg laugh. Erika listens eagerly and with emotion. The story lacks something. Yes, in spite of its minute details, something is missing. Is he keeping it for the conclusion? Or does he think it necessary to suppress this detail altogether? Erka is indignant at such discretion. When he has finished, she says calmly, You have forgotten one trifling incident, her You set a price upon your picture of me. She pauses. And then coolly surveying her listeners, she goes on, I had to promise her to give him a kiss for my portrait. And may I ask if you kept your word, Countess? Asks Count Truenberg, laughing. Yes, Erika replies curtly. Charming, exclaims Count Truenberg. And between ourselves, I would not have believed it of you, Countess. You were a lucky fellow, Lozency. Erika is visibly embarrassed. But Lozency steps a little nearer to her and says with a very kindly smile, What a gloomy face! our Countess, can you regret the arms bestowed upon a poor lad by an infant nine years old if you only knew how often the memory of your childish kindness has strengthened and encouraged me you would not grudge it the matter could not have been adjusted with more amiable tact and erika begins to laugh and confesses that she has been foolish a fact which her grandmother confirms gaily the old lady is delighted with the little story the part played therein by Stranschetski gives it an additional relish. She is charmed with lucency. They leave the damp, musty library and go out into the cloisters that encircle the garden of the monastery. The scent of roses is in the air, and from the monastery kitchen comes the odor of freshly roasted coffee. Count Truenberg is glad of the opportunity to cover his bald head with his English grey felt hat, and as he does so, Anathematizes the Western idea of courtesy, which makes it necessary for a gentleman to catch cold in his head so frequently. He walks in front with the old countess, and Erika and Lozency follow. The two old people talk incessantly. The younger couple scarcely speak. Lozency is the first to break the silence. Strange that chance should have brought us together again, he says. She clears her throat and seems about to speak, but is mute. You were saying, Countess? He asked, smiling. I said nothing. You were thinking then? Yes, I was thinking. In fact, that it is strange that you should have left it to chance to bring about our meeting. The words are amiable enough, but they sound cold and constrained as Erika utters them. Do you imagine that I have made no attempt to find you again, Countess? I imagine that if you had seriously desired to find me, it would not have been difficult. He does not speak for a moment, and then he begins afresh. You are right, and you do me injustice. When I learned that my dear little poorly clad princess had become a great lady, I did, it is true, make no attempt to approach her. But before then, do you care to hear of my unfortunate pilgrimage? Most assuredly, I do. Well, eight years after our childish interview, I had my first couple of hundred marks in my pocket. I bought a new suit of clothes, yes, smile if you choose, a new suit, which I admired exceedingly, and journeyed to Bohemia. I found the village, the brook and the bridge, and likewise the castle, but all had gone who had once lived there, even the amiable Harfan and no one knew anything of my little princess. I was very sad, too sad for a fellow of three and twenty. He pauses. And was that the end of your efforts? Asks the old countess, whose sharp ears have lost nothing of the story, and who now turns to the pair with a laugh. You showed no amount of persistence to boast of. When overtaken by the rain, I took refuge in the parsonage of the nearest village. He continues. I made inquiries there for my little friend. The priest gave me more information than I had been able to procure elsewhere. He told me that one fine day, someone had come from Berlin to carry little Rikave that she was now a very grand lady. And then the old lady persists. I sought no further. The bridge between my sphere in life and that of my princess was destroyed. I quietly returned to Munich. I was very unhappy. The goal to which I had looked forward seemed to have been suddenly snatched from me. Oh! exclaims the old countess. You can be sentimental to them. You are truly many-sided. That was years ago. I have changed very much since then. After which Count Ruenberg contrives to interest the old lady in the latest piece of Venetian gossip. You understand now why I did not appear before you, Countess Erika? But Erika shook her head. I do not understand at all. I think you were excessively foolish to avoid me for such a reason. Erika is quite right. The grandmother called back over her shoulder in the midst of one of Count Tronberg's most interesting anecdotes. Your failing to seek us out only proves that you must have thought us a couple of geese. Otherwise, you would have been quite sure of a friendly reception. No, it proves only that I had been hardly treated by fate, that I was a well-whipped young dog, said Lucency. Now I have no doubt that I should have been graciously received by both of you. But it would not have amounted to much. You would soon have tired of me. A very young artist is sadly out of place in a drawing room. I was like all the rest of the race. That I find hard to believe, the old countess said kindly, still over her shoulder, then turning again to Count Rundberg, Go on, count, you were saying... "'I shall say nothing more,' Truenberg exclaimed, provoked. "'I have had enough of this. At the most interesting part of my story, you turn and listen to what Luzensi is saying to your granddaughter. The fact is that when Luzensi is present, no one else can claim a lady's attention. The words were spoken half in jest, half in irritation. "'Count Truenberg is skilled in rendering me obnoxious in society,' Luzensi murmurs. Oh, I never pay any attention to him, the old countess assures him. I should like to know what you did after you learned that Erika had had become a grand lady. Lusensi interrupts her. Oh, I packed up my belongings and went to Rome. And then? There I had an attack of Roman fever, he says slowly, and his face grows dark. He looks around for Erika, but she is no longer at his side. She has lingered behind and has fallen into conversation with the tall, dignified monk. She now calls out to the rest. Has no one any desire to see the tree beneath which Lord Byron used to write poems? They all follow her as the monk leads the way to the very shore of the island and there with pride points to a table beneath a tree where he assures them Lord Byron used often to sit and write. His hospitality culminates at last in regaling his guests with fragrant black coffee, after which he leaves them. They sit and sip their coffee under the famous tree. Losenzi expresses a modest doubt as to the identity of the table. Count Ruenberg relates an anecdote, at which Erika frowns and gazes up into the blue sky showing here and there among the branches of the old tree. Suddenly, an affected voice is heard to say, O they look up and see two ladies, one is no other than Frau von Gialstein, very affected and looking about as usual for fine acquaintances. The other is very much dressed, robed and very pretty. Frau von Gialstein is enthusiastically glad to see her Berlin friends and presents her companion, the princess wish The old countess, however, is not very amiably disposed towards the newcomers. Do not let us keep you from your friends, she says to the artist. It is late and we must go. I do. I should be glad if you could find time to come and see us. Count Truenberg conducts the grandmother and granddaughter to their gondola. Lozenzi remains with his two admirers. Who was that queer princess? Countess Anna asks of Count Truenberg in a rather depreciative tone just before they reach their gondola. Oh, one of Lozenzi's thousand adorers! She has a huge palace and entertains a great deal. A pretty woman, but terribly stupid. Luzensi is tied to a different apron string every day. The table dehot is long past. The Landofs are dining in a small island of light at one end of the large dining hall. They are unusually late tonight. After their return from the Armenian monastery, both ladies have dressed for the evening before coming to the table. At the Old Countess Entreaty, Erica has consented to go into society this evening, That is, to the Countess Mulberg, who has been legally separated from her husband for some time and is living very quietly at Venus, where she receives a few friends every Wednesday. The Old Countess is unusually gay. Erica scarcely speaks. The glass door leading from the dining hall into the garden has been left open for their special benefit. The warm air brings in an odor of fresh earth, mossy stones, and the faintly impure breath of the lagoons, which haunts all the poetic beauty of Venice like an unclean spirit. The soft flash of the water against the walls of the old palaces, the creaking of the gondolas tied to their posts, a monotonous stroke of oars, the distant echo of a street song are the mingled sounds that fall upon the ear when the meal is ended the old countess calls for pen and ink and writes a note at the table where they have just dined erika walks out into the garden with head bare and a light wrap about her shoulders she strolls along the gravel path past the monthly roses that have scarcely ceased to bloom throughout the winter past the taller rose-trees in which the life of spring is stirring From time to time, she turns her head to catch the distant melody more clearly, but it comes no nearer. Above her arches the sky, no longer pale as it had been today amid the boughs of the historic tree, but dark blue and twinkling with countless stars. She has walked several times up and down the garden as far as the breastwork that separates it from the Grand Canal. Now as she nears the dining room, she hears voices. Her grandmother is no longer alone. Beside the table at which she is writing stands Count Truenberg. He is speaking. Tis a pity. He really is a very clever fellow with men. But the women spoil him. Just now he is the plaything of all the women who think themselves art critics in Venus. Erika pauses to listen. Indeed? Well, it does not surprise me. Her grandmother rejoins indifferently. And Truenberg goes on. He is the very deuce of a fellow. With all his fine feeling, he combines just enough cynicism and honest contempt for women to make him irresistible to the other sex. You are complimentary, Count. Erika calls into the dining hall. He looks up. She is standing in the doorway. The wrap has fallen back from her shoulders, revealing the dazzling whiteness of her neck and arms. Her left hand rests against the doorpost and she is looking full at the speaker. Old Truenberg has just taken a seat beside the countess, springs up, gazes admiringly at the girl, bows low and says, Pray remember that any uncomplimentary remark I may make in your presence with regard to the weaker sex have no reference to you. When I talk of your sex in general, I never think of you. You are an exception. We have both known that for a long while. Have we not, Erika? Her grandmother says, laughing. But what is the cause of all this splendor, Countess Erika? Asks Truenberg, changing the subject. It is the first time that I have had the pleasure of seeing you in full dress. Erika is beginning to go out a little to please me, the old countess explains. I told her that, thanks to her passion for retirement, it would shortly be reported that she was either out of her mind, or suffering from a disappointment in love. As this does not seem to her desirable, she has consented to go with me to Constance Mulberg. I should have gone to Constance Mulberg at all events. Only I should not have chosen her reception day for my visit, Erika declares, taking a seat beside her grandmother, leaning her white elbows upon the table, and resting her chin on her clasped hands. Connoisseur in beauty that he is, the old count cannot take his eyes off her. When a woman is so thoroughly formed for society as you are, Countess Erika, she has no right to retire from it, he declares. She makes no reply. And her grandmother asks, Shall we see you at Countess Mulberg's count? Not tonight. I must go tonight to the Ramblae of Venus. Oh, to the Nirwinden?" yes. Why do you ladies never go there? To speak frankly, I had no idea that one ought to go, the countess says laughing. Why not? Because of the countess' reputation? Let me assure you that all runes are the fashion in Venus. You are quite wrong to stay away from the sallow Nirwinden. It is an historical curiosity and to me more interesting than the Dodges Palace. But even if I should go to the Nirvindan, I could not take this child with me. Why not? The near Winden is by no means such a pest house of infectious moral disease as you seem to think. And then nothing could harm the Countess Erika. Her life is a charmed one. At this moment, a thick-set, grey-bearded individual enters the dining hall, very affected and very anxious to induce his eyeglass to fit into the hollow of his right eye. He is a Venice banker, Schmidt. He spells it Schmidt fun went Rothall. bowing with ease to the ladies, he approaches toenberg. do I intrude, Hans? He asks, you always intrude. the banker smiles at the jest, awkward as he may be, he displays a certain agility in ignoring a rude remark. You know, Hans, we must first go to the Grigory and we shall be late. Confound the fellow, murmurs the count, nevertheless, he rises to follow Schmidt and kisses the fingertips of each lady in token of farewell. Countess Erika, he says with the final glance of admiration, if I were but thirty years younger, ah, you think it would have been of no use? He adds, stunning to the grandmother, but there's no knowing. If I am not mistaken, the Countess Erika is zealous in the conversion of sinners, and I should have been so easily converted in view of the reward. But do me the favor to leave a card upon the near You will not repent it. One is never so well entertained as at her evenings. And if you would like to see Lausensi in all his glory. But Hans, the princess will be waiting, Schmidt interposes. I am coming. And Count Trenberg vanishes. The old countess looks after him with a smile. I cannot help it. But I have a slight weakness for that old sinner, she says. He is so typical, a genuine Austrian cavalier, fundy egg, witty without depth, good-natured, with no heart, aristocrat to his fingertips, without one single unprejudiced conviction. How you impressed him tonight, I do not wonder. Losenzi ought to see you now. What a splendid portrait he would make of you. Hmm, do you know I really should like to go to a near winden evening? That you may have the pleasure of seeing Harfan Nozensi in all his glory? asks Erika. End of chapter 19.